All right, welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast, and today is an awesome show. We have Andy Hallett from RecWired and RecSpand. Um, Andy brings with him 20 years of working for S3, and he's been coaching startups over the last period of time. And we also have our star of the show today, which is Mike Ames. Mike has sold to recruitment firms in the past for meaningful money. He also coaches recruitment entrepreneurs. And we go into a load of detail on the different types of recruitment firms. We talk a lot about the market now, how things have changed. And it's really interesting to get the perspective of both these guys who have so much knowledge between them. Um, and Mike just loves, loves, loves the game of business. And that's the name of the show, For the Love of the Game. I hope you guys all enjoy it. If you enjoy this and you want to get more of this type of content and chat and all the rest, hit us up and join RecWired. Um, our only condition is that you're a recruitment founder. So whether that's of a small business or a large business, we have specific communities for both. We also have a Christmas party, which is already booked in. I know it's too early to be talking about Christmas, but we're all mad for a party and getting back out into the world. Business is good. The good times are back. I hope you are all making the most out of it. If you want to join the community just hit me up it's free still so hit me up there's a wealth of knowledge in there we, we it's a vetted community so you only get in if we say so and we will guarantee you that it'll be worth your while all right thanks so much and hope you guys enjoy the show Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. I'm joined today by Andy Hallett from RecSpand and RecWired and the one, the only, Mr. Mike Ames, everybody. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. By the way, I haven't seen my check. It doesn't come in yet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, checks only go one way when Andy Hallett's involved, I'm afraid. So <laughs> nothing we can do about that. Um, all right, today's episode, the love of the game. Um, so do you know, do you know what's interesting about Mike is uh, I, I felt like Mike was business developing me at one stage and just building his network. He just go, he just ha surveys what's out there, goes, does it, gets them, engages them brings him into his world and he does it really well. And I suppose when, when I kind of got to know you a little bit more, Mike, into the motivations, I mean, you, you're, you're, I think you're interested in legacy. You're interested in, in teaching. You're interested in handing stuff over to the next generation, like your family who are in the business, but you just love the game. Don't you, Mike? I do love the game. Actually, Dwalta. Yeah. I love everything about it. And I did try to retire once years and years ago. It was an unmitigated disaster, really. And I realized after having had to have some help, some counseling to get me through it, I kid you not, 
I realized that actually it's the game that counts. As soon as you lose the love of it, it's time to do something else or reconfigure so that you can get that love back, actually, yeah. because it, it ain't about the money, you know. I mean, obviously the money helps and everything, but if that's all you've got, you don't have very much, I think. I've been okay. helping uh, Andy Hallett uh, readjust to society after 20 years in S3. Um, I mean, like it's a, it's like it's like watching a, a Scientology documentary in, in real in real life. Um, Andy, you're enjoying the game, aren't you? You're 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 playing a different game now. You were playing a corporate game before, and I know you had your own train set there. Can I? Where yeah, I think I think I think it's the same game. It's just different players. And the thing I've really enjoyed um, most is. You know, getting to know all these different players. Yeah, you know, it's very much still the same game, still the same principles. But, but yeah, doing it for yourself. And you know, we were just talking before we came on air with Mike around the fact is, you know, working with the people you want to work with, doing the things that make sense to you. And you know, ultimately, you know, if you read someone like Simon Sinek, he talks about the why, and it's it's ultimately purpose built people that succeed, purpose built organisations that succeed. And, you know, the, the, the how is what we do, but it's the why we do it. And I, I'd agree, it's that love of that game. And, and you know, some of, the, some of the biggest achievements in my career in the last, have been in the last 18 months, helping companies achieve what they want to achieve. And that's, that's just been amazing. Mike, um, give us a bit of a rundown on, 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 your, on your career, just so anybody who's not aware of you. Um, give us, like, if you can do that for you very quickly. You've been haven't you? He graduated uh, with an IT, well, computer science degree, so I did IT for a bit, like 10 years or something. And then uh, the back end of that was a freelancer, a contractor, and the agent I worked with one day said to me, do you know what, you could do this. And I was feeling a little bit cheesed off with contracting at the time, and IT in general really, so I said, oh, go on then. Sadly, I didn't realise that I had to take a 50% pay drop to do it from being a contractor to being a trainee recruitment consultant, which was a bit of a bit of a big thing for me but I was supremely confident that it would be okay then we set up six months later we left that business and set up our own business and took another 50 percent pay drop so I'd, I'd lost an enormous amount of money and remortgaged of course to pay for it all and a whole bunch of other things what age were you at this stage Mike I was 28 28 you pre-kid <laughs> yeah three three children then yeah date yourself with your technology that you did when you're in IT uh, IBM mainframe, IMS, DB2, COBOL, some PL1, some assembler, 360, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I know it's just so long. I, I did a talk, actually. I know we're digressing slightly, but I did a talk some years ago, and I've got an iWatch, and I worked out just how much more power was in that iWatch that was in the mainframe that ran the GEC company, which was a big industrial conglomerate, and the fact that it cost me, I don't know, 200 quid or something, whatever it was, and that cost several million pounds unbelievable what's happened in it unbelievable in that time moore's law on acid it's fantastic but um then so very quickly built the business up my business partner i'd started it with unfortunately he died in a car accident and really early on so 18 months in and so i took over had no clue what i was doing i mean literally no clue the first decision i made was to collect stamps for charity because i didn't know what else to do honestly that first day after he died Anyway, built the business up, uh, sold it uh, yeah, 98, I think, to Modis International. I think they're owned by Deco now. Stayed with them for a couple of years and then uh, started another business up called Crimson with a couple of guys I'd worked with at uh, SK. And we sold that one to Harvey Nash in 2017. 
I think so it's there or thereabouts. I didn't work there at the time. I was a sleeping partner by that point, but but that's that's my career. And now I just, as you said earlier, I just try and help people, really. I, I really love, really love sharing what I know. Love it, really. So I, I don't know whether whether people want to hear it or not. Is a different kettle of fish. That's what course, you're here but, for. No, we want to hear that, it. That, that, yeah. That's me, really. Uh, what, what interests me is that you, you've gone from this experience of building and selling big businesses which a lot of people like hold their hat on and they stick to that formula and they rinse and repeat that and build call centers but from speaking to you that's not really what you've been like coaching people on it's it's more having profitable lifestyle businesses where where did that shift come from does it does it stem back to that you know work for who you want, when you two want. Two things at once, really. Want. Two things at once. Firstly, looking back, the number of businesses that actually successfully sold for any amount of money, really, was quite small. I mean, I knew a lot in the 90s, particularly in the noughties of recruitment companies that sort of bubbled along, really didn't amount to very much at all. And then there were some very large ones that just seemed to be there. So there was that kind of bubbling along and this suspicion that not, not everybody can, can get across the line. And then... The company that sold our business, a company called Rycroft Glenton, uh, Carl Swansbury, said that they'd done a whole bunch of research. I mean, all they do is buy and sell. Well, not all they do. They focus on buying and selling recruitment firms. So he knew the market really well. And he said they'd done some research, quite extensive research, and only 0.2% of recruitment companies ever really get sold for a sizable amount of money in a trade sale. And you're just thinking, well, hang on a sec. Even if that's 10% out, say, even if it's 2%, it's still not good odds, is it really? You know, it's still not good odds that you'll be successful and be able to retire in the style that you want. Whereas if you look at, say, the dental profession or the legal profession, they they can make a lot of money, but they can't sell their businesses for a lot of money. If you're a partner in a law firm, you buy in, you work there and you, you sell out, but you don't sell for a lot of money. You don't sell your shares for a lot of money. What they do is they make a shed load of money. They draw it out and they invest it in other things and become independently wealthy. And they use their company as a vehicle to do that. Hmm. And it became clear to me that that was much by far and away the easiest way of, of, of building a business and making yourself financially independent. The other benefit is, you know, in a scale for sale business, you have to reinvest the profits, obviously. And you have to know what you're doing with that. Because, because if you don't, it's it's terrible. You can... You can just grow the turnover like Billy Ho, but not make any more money. And there's so much more risk attached to it. Whereas in a cash cow lifestyle business, it's different because you worked out how much money you want. You then worked out the size of the business that you need to deliver that, which isn't hard to do. Mm. And then you just build it. And then just after that, you just take the money out. You just yeah. take the cash. I, and I, and I, you I, do I, like I, the lawyers and, and, and the dentists. And you, you invest it privately to make yourself independently wealthy. And I suppose the the lawyers and dentists, they do have like senior partners that come through and eventually do long term MBOs, don't they? Well, it's not common. It's that's not a common the 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 way in which lawyers work. I mean, the, the, this latest incarnation of lawyers, the LLPs and so on, and the likes of Knights that have you know floated and rest of it and, and Gateleys. But that's 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 new. It's relatively new. Mm-hmm. If you were a lawyer. Even in the noughties, the, the teens of this, you would buy in to be a lawyer. You buy your shares, effectively. You work there, and then you sell them again to the next person. It's not a lot of money in that. It's because they earned a lot of money. Mm. That's how they made their dosh. Interesting. Um, 
Andy, how come you haven't gone and set up the next S3 like everybody else who leaves S3? Honestly, I just hated doing recruitment, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, so, so for me, um, I did it for six, seven years, you know, got through, went through the management bit. But, you know, it, for me, yeah, you know, I was a good biller, but that wasn't the bit that excited me. It was the building businesses that excited me. So when I became commercial manager for Huxley, then latterly commercial director of the group, it was being around the set pieces and, you know, getting to see what, you know, what it takes to launch a country, what it takes to implement a CRM system, um, what it takes to, to make a corporate work. So, you know, I got to get involved in projects I had no right to be involved in, but because I knew the business and I looked at it through the lens of someone who's, who's recruited. So it would be all too predictable in the same way that, you know, when you tried to find me a COO job, it, it just felt all too predictable. Just go and do the same thing that you've done for the last 20 years just felt very, very predictable. So, um, I went and did the thing that I really enjoyed in the last few years, which was effectively start with smaller companies and then niche into the, you know, as you go bigger into the, the things like contract, into tech, you know, the things that I've, I've got real subject matter expert in. The, uh, it's interesting that lens that you mentioned. It's, it's how, we, how we discuss things with the partners that we bring on. We, we, we don't just like resell their services. We, we analyze who they are, what the proposition is. And then we try and help shape them. And it's uh, it's been fascinating, Mike, because different, there's different sales techniques, as I'm sure you know, from a one-man band to a 10-man to, to enterprise, and they all have different needs. And it's been an interesting journey we've been on with, with RecWord on that, hasn't it, Andy? Yeah, I think, I think you know, what, what, and again, what's really nice to see is, you know, working with the big guys is great. I mean, we've got some great partners in people like Sonovay, Broadbean, JSA, Kingsbridge, you know, some great, well-established you know, their, their product sells itself, great products. Um, what's been really interesting is to work, work with um, some of the newer products that are coming through, you know, people like Alex at The Scoop, where you can really take what he had, which was a shed load of passion, an idea, something that we felt there was there's something there, we thought there was something there, and really sort of help him, you know, then get it into the groups, you know, get, you know, get his product on peak, get the sales pattern, and then, and then build the social proof for him. So actually seeing someone like him, you know, really, and seeing his passion for the product has been amazing. Yeah. Um, Mike, what, you mentioned something just before we, we went on air, um, and it struck me as, as you, you've you been there and done that so many times on ebbs and flows of, of market fluctuation. Um, you've seen what happens in the good times, higher, 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 spend, 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 and then the bad times, right? Everybody out right? That's it. I've lost all my money. The world's ending. And uh, we're now, we're now in the good times, right? So um, what's your observation uh, of what's happened this time? I, well, I think this has been peculiar because of COVID. Yeah. So, so this has been the, the first time it's been like this for all sorts of reasons. However, there is an underlying trend of growth and you can look at the reasons for that. Who knows? Probably part of the coming out of pan, pandemic, you know, kind of affected it. But I think the economy is not in bad shape. Brexit hasn't turned out as being as bad as some people expected. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that have happened. But <clears throat> um, the result is the same. We're on a peak at the moment. So people are desperate to get consultants in because there's all this work around. And all they can see is the pound note signs to be able to convert some of these opportunities into money. But actually, if you're, I think Andy wrote a piece on this the other day. I saw it, I commented on it on LinkedIn. 
you know, if your build cycle is, is 5, 10, 15 years, this is only a few months of it. And you shouldn't let it sway you and turn your head. If you're growing a business and you've got a plan, what does a sudden splurge in business really mean? Well, if you're not careful, it means taking on a whole bunch of people, paying way too much for them and realizing at the end of it that they're no good or not as good as you are paying for them. And then you have to let them go again. It's just madness, really. <clears throat> I think it's better to let this ride out a little bit. I mean, make what you can with it for sure. But don't think it's going to be like this forever because it so isn't. Yeah, and we, yeah. I read a, a KPMG piece the other day that said inflation could peak out at 3.8%. Well, if that happens, and who knows, but if that happens, unemployment will go up because it always goes up when inflation goes up. So we could flip from being these great times to not good times at all. I don't really think that's going to happen, but who knows? These are strange times, aren't they? The, the hiring process, so recruiters are, are great at hiring for other people. When it comes to hiring for their own businesses, you'd be amazed how many don't have a set structure, a set format, like a set a set set way of asking the same types of questions each time how to disseminate that information so much so down to the point where they don't actually know the perfect profile of what they're looking for and what we see happening is they get excited when somebody does come along and then they don't go into the detail and Andy you've done a lot of work with your clients on this haven't you it was the biggest surprise for me um I think yeah, I know right yeah, the, the biggest value I thought I would add is like, you know, we'll start your contracts business. Yeah, we'll scale your contracts business. We'll get your tech stack straight, automation. I, I, I think generally the most value of that is making people stop hiring shit people and, and not necessarily shit people, shit people for them. Now, what other industry, you know, say, say you're working at Oracle and all you do is Oracle databases and someone sends you a CV of a SAP consultant you know, he looks really good. He's built this practice. He's done that. Um, Oracle aren't going to say, right, we're going into SAP based on this one opportunity. Yeah, we could make money on this. And I don't know any other industry in the world that pivot their whole plan around a speculative CV that's come through the door. So yeah, I think I think we've had a couple with your business as well. There's been some great people come along. They just weren't great for you. Mm. And, and and actually, all that happens is you end up hiring someone. You've got no database. You've got you can't support them. Got no real feel for how they're doing. You've got no reference. So you end up that person, even if they're successful, you end up hiring someone you're not going to scale. Mm. And yeah, and and that's just going to end a, a, a natural death. So yeah, so it, it, it's a Think about how many recruiters, customers, if you sent them something they weren't looking for, would actually then just create an opportunity for that person that was so left field from what it is they're looking for. So the technique I usually use with people is it, it's like rock climbing. OK, so it's basically a four point technique. You know, are they in the right location? And I appreciate remote change to that slightly. Are they contract or perm? You know, have they worked in the market and do they fit your 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 culture and your profile? You can get away with three or three out of the four not being anchored. But if you take two of those away, then it's a pretty big leap. And you've got too many moving parts to make that person successful. Yeah, anything to add? I agree with that, actually, funny enough, if I can just dive in on that, actually, because <clears throat> I'm a big believer in setting out your strategy for your business and sticking to it. I mean, obviously, you've got to change as things happen around you. You can't just put the blinkers on. But but there is this kind of, as Andy said, well, hey, whoa, hang on a sec, I'll make a few quid there. Let, let's just do that then. And the big question that we always ask people is not, not when you're looking at an opportunity, don't ask, could I do something? Ask, should you do something? 
because they're two completely different questions. And the reason you should do something is because it supports your long-term strategy of being the go-to guy or the go-to girl in a particular space in the market. And I think if you want to veer out of that, it should be a considered viewpoint to say, yeah, well, we, we now want to operate in this market. Mm. And what does that mean? You know, have we planned it out properly? Have we assessed the size of the market? What are the competition doing in there? Is there money in there to be had? And if the answer is yes and all those things, well, fine, you know, go and hire someone that can do that. But I agree with Andy, just reacting to someone to come in and say, oh, whoa, you can do this now. The only thing that I would say that, that I would react to is, is geographically. So if someone comes in, and I've done this in the past, who's strong in a particular ge- geographical area, but fitted in with the kind of people that we provided, then yes, I would consider that for sure. But not a brand new like desk, you know, that's not not for me at all. Yeah, it's tough. It's definitely it's definitely tough work, eh? Um, okay, here's a question for you both. Um, and I want to take it from, we're coaching lots of people who are early stage on our mastermind program and our different different little offerings that we're at, where we have out there. Um, and a lot of them are interested in getting a virtual assistant. So, um, we take them through that process, but they're also interested in beginning to hire, especially because the market's hot, their friends are hiring, like it's the dream. I want to like, but they're not too sure on the profile. Um, one of the things we find with a lot of these people who have set up is they don't actually have proper billing management experience. So they've been a good principal or they've been a, a good senior con. And then they've gone straight from that into like the hot seat of running a business. Now that first hire and planning it, do you go for somebody who facilitates you? Do you go for another revenue generator? Do you go all out and find a, a billing manager to put a team around? What what type of framework would you would you set out for those people? I'll go to you first, Mike. Well, we we follow a method really called the Pod Method. So you, you, and this is what built the first business that we had 40 million odd quid or something. So you, you get someone who. Is that all? Yeah. When, just, you just dropped something, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> 40 million. <laughs> oh, didn't I mention that earlier? <laughs> that price 24 million. Sorry about that. Didn't I? Sorry. Just pop that in there. Anyway, whatever. But the point is, it was going you for swear you could have bought a better shirt for that, Mike. There's nothing wrong with this shirt, my friend. And when you get to my age, you'll be wearing this because it's all we've got. I'll tell you that now. You've got youth and looks. I don't have any of that. But I've got shirts, right? Um, I've lost the track now. Yeah, I remember. So, so the, if you want scale, there's this belief that if, you, if you're small time, you're not going to grow. And it's nonsense, really. So if you get someone that's really good at dealing with clients, you can build a little team around them. Some of those team will be good enough to have their own team. So the pods are never really very big, four or five people probably. Well, the maximum someone can manage and still work is probably five people if you're still going to bill. If you get to seven people and you still bill, that's a bit of a stretch, really. So if you're managing them properly and you want them to stay with you, then um, so to me, the pod method just makes absolute sense. You've got a career path for people. You've got the ability for them to move all the way up if you want. And you've got the ability to grow a senior management team that gives you choices, choice to sell, choice to do an MBO choice just to take a bit of a back seat so my view personally is in answer to your question is always look to hire someone to support someone i've already got train them the way that i want them doing so we always trained everybody we only took i think two experienced people and one of those didn't work out as i recall maybe three actually whatever but mostly we trained them up we brought them through very, and trained them very so. hard to train people up these days because 
a lot of it's remote, right? Yeah, that, that is a problem for sure. I'm not suggesting people do that. I'm just simply yeah. saying that's what we did. Um, so we got them to work in a certain way and in a certain style. It was more of a factory model. Mm. So it was less 360, really, because it's 360 is not a particularly safe model to follow because 360s go, obviously. Mm. You know, everyone sitting on this call was somebody's really good 360 biller at some point in the past, and then they weren't. So <clears throat> I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a, if your choice, you can do that if you want. But if you're going to go on that route, the pod is dead easy then to grow in a very safe way, and you're filling up from the bottom, whether you hire trainees or whether you hire people who are resource plus, you know, that kind of level, whatever. It still fills it up from the bottom, and it keeps the shape. Whereas if you hire a more senior person, God only knows what you'll get because it's difficult to say, isn't it, really? They're going to come in with baggage. They're going to come in with set ideas. And it, they're, di they're more difficult to hold your reputation, your brand, to keep it together if you start to bring in too many of these senior people in a small business. Big yeah. business I followed the pod, uh, the pod methodology as well. Um, our, I think we've just kind of landed on it rather than we set out to do it, you know? so We did too, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did too. Like, I, I'm the principal in Rectorec, then... I've had three people facilitating that, and actually one of them stood up and went, "Hey, I, I want to be the principal now." So I said, "Okay, great." <laughs> and then yeah, you know, so gone and it? she's got she's she's in that space, and then there's a couple of people under her, and then I think we'll probably get two more pods in the next two years at a max. We um, had six. We had six in the end. Yeah, no, I sold. We had six of them really. So really, yeah. I, that, that's interesting. Andy, what are, you, what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've got, I've got three observations from speaking to businesses over the last 18 months. Um, I think you've got to know yourself at the start. And, you know, do you, do you do it on your own or do you go in with a partner? And, and I think knowing yourself quite early on is, you know, can you get further, you know, with a partner or do you want to, you know, do you want to be there? And actually for the individuals, um, it looks pretty lonely. And that's that's probably the, the the biggest issue. And some of the some of the businesses where they, they, they feel a bit more comfortable being partners. So, you know, that's built on trust. That's built on, you know, complementary skills. But, you know, definitely consider that you don't need to do it on your own. <laughs> go, go and share that, share the load with someone. Um, the second point is, it's the profile of people that set up their businesses, you know, pretty much, you know, when I was, when I were a lad in the first sort of few years, the people who set up their businesses were the directors and the MDs, they'd go off, they'd take a load of people, but they'd run 40, 50, 60 people teams, and they'd learn the hard way, they'd learn it on someone else's ticket, well processed, well trained, you know, knew what they needed to do to run. And, and actually the profile now is very different. It's people with two, three, four years experience and, and haven't necessarily run a team. So they've not made those mistakes through um, on, on someone else's ticket. Um, the exercise I go through, especially with smaller companies, is almost like player manager. Okay, you're in a five-a-side team, you're the player manager, you're the most important person, what do you want to do? Do you want a biz dev? Do you want a resource? Do you want to be, you know, the operations person? Do you want a quarterback? What, where do you want to play? And then your first hires need to be, you know, effectively the things you don't enjoy doing. Um, because, you know, as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, solopreneur, you have to do those things, but the quickest way to get to your level of, you know, you'll be most effective when you do the things you enjoy. Look, I, I see it with you. You enjoy doing the podcast. You don't actually enjoy doing rec to rec. It's a bit of a means to an end to allow you to, to do what you enjoy doing. Yeah, and I, I enjoy the consulting side as well. I think, yeah. I think uh, that's, been, that's been really rewarding. And I think, although 
wreck to wreck is is what it is uh, i do enjoy moving young people around the world and being able to like tune in and go that's cool your life's changed like that was a that's really good no, years to come, do you reckon they'll make statues of wreck to wrecks that you know you know basically move people around the world and then then revisionist history they'll come and tear them down and throw them into bristol harbor they're actually just modern day slave trade i think that applies to all recruitment consultants yeah. i think wow <laughs> <laughs> didn't realize we were on james o'brien um, <laughs> um so uh, andy you, you mentioned something interesting there um, I'm not sure necessarily I agree with you. So this is where I want you to flesh it out for me. Um, about the, the independence, getting business partners because the journey's alone. Um, now, we know that our independent community is busier than all the other communities we have because people are, are by themselves and because they're the only decision maker and they, wanna, they want like confirmation bias the whole time, like on everything like that i haven't looked at my phone there'll be a hundred whatsapp messages back and forth on it um but choosing a business partner so that's tough hey eh? it's i think it's fraught with danger I yeah think, so i, th I think it's the second for that I, I think i saw a stat on this it's the second biggest reason that companies break up first yeah. one is is lack of cash management and I think the second one is small businesses now, not big ones, obviously, is is bad partnership matches. And I've been very lucky that I've had um, four partners in two businesses yeah. and I've got on seven with wives and four partners. Say again. Seven wives and four partners. Yeah, still got the same wife, actually, <laughs> as, as it turns out. Yeah, Mrs. Ames, fearsome. Um, but in fact, everyone else got divorced except me. But I think that the um, it, it is really hard, you know, in the, in the second business. We, we, we didn't, I'm still friendly with everyone, you know, the, everyone that was there, but we kind of just grew apart really in a weird way. Not in a, we didn't have fisticuffs or fight. It was just, I've got to go now because I think this isn't for me. Luckily, it was big enough for me to keep the shares and I just left. Yeah. I think in some cases, and it ran better without me, I think probably. But I, I think that it, it, you, can't, it, you can't judge how you're going to be with someone just because you've worked with them or just because they're your friend or because you've known them in a different circumstance. And even if you can, the years pile on and things change, you change and they change. If you don't change in the same direction, you're in trouble, really, I think. And it is tough. I mean, I, I agree very much with Andy. You know, it's a very lonely experience. There's a word for it, isn't it? Commercial loneliness. And I think commercial loneliness is a real thing and it's it's hideous, which is why groups like yours are so successful because they eradicate commercial loneliness but if you if you're in charge of a a business and you feel lonely by dog you know i mean it you it just it's really difficult to get to get someone in and help you i think yeah. have you dangerous. got a framework that you would use either of you and i'll actually throw that at you um if you're if you're to choose a business partner what type of questions should you be asking um out of the scenario well i think i think i i don't i don't think it's Weirdly, I don't think it's one of those things that, you know... You, you've you've got, got into business with us. Well, it's, it's a feel, all right? It's, it's you know, you, you could probably go back and unpack it. And, I, you know, so I had some... I, I worked... I always thought I worked best in partnerships when I was at, you know, um, S3. So I worked really well with Zoe Brent at Huxley. I worked really well with Ryan Morrow. Um, I worked really well with Lawrence Doe when we did contracts. You know, so so for me, I, I, I've just always felt in partnerships, you know, quite 
complemented and, and, and work stronger. Look, we went into business because, you know what, we were speaking every day. We were passing each other leads. We were talking about stuff. We were just getting on. And, and you know, it, it, it was a very easy thing to do. And, and I think the three of us, actually, you mean Charlotte, all have, you know, complementary skills. You're out there, she's there, and I'm somewhere in the middle. Just... Yeah, I, I bring empathy to both of you. <laughs> Are you the glue that holds this partnership together? <laughs> hey, when, when you have two sociopaths, you believe? I'm, actually, I'm actually the jellic knight that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would believe that. I'm going for that. I'll tell you the three things in my experience that that cause most difficulties. Um, first one is age, because age. If you're not a quick, if you're not roughly the same age, and you're going into a business, there's different expectations as to when the thing will end. So somebody who's older thinks, you know what, I want to get the money now because I just want to, somebody else who's younger, no, no, I, I want to work this for years yet. So that causes problems, <clears throat> which you need to resolve. The other thing is, I think, the work-life balance. So some people want to work and commit everything to the business. Others, do you know what, after a while, I don't want to work this hard anymore. So that causes a parting of the ways. And I think the other thing is values, because you only really get to know someone's values when you work with them. You can't ask them, what are your values? Because God knows what you'll get back. Whatever you want them to be, I suppose, is the answer, isn't it? But but actually, you've got a set of values, and they don't change over, over time, really. And if your values are out of sync, you can get by for a while, a year or two, three, four years, maybe. But eventually, that will come to the fore, and you'll go in separate directions. And any one of those three can cause tensions in a business. So I, I do recommend if anybody's thinking of getting a business partner, then for sure, get a good shareholder agreement in. Go and pay the money. Get a big lawyer to get a decent shareholder agreement in place, which is going to cover all of these eventualities. You know, things like making decisions yeah. and Helen, Helen, Helen Phillips talks about that yesterday on the post. You know, I think she called it, you know, mate, was it mates agreements don't exist? You know, I think no, no. Harry Harry Kane's found out that the hard way, hasn't he? Yeah. With uh, with, with Spurs at the moment. Um the, yeah. I suppose the other thing is getting get an advisor to put you through the ringer on it. Like work out your mission, vision, values, and if they're not aligned. Like, yeah. where's the end point? Yeah. And if they're 100%. like, walk, walk through that roadmap. You um, you talk about hiring people. Uh, when I used to hire people, I used to hire them down the pub. Didn't talk about the role. We used to get the names from our candidates. Sorry, our consultants were asked always to say to people, you know, who you're dealing with is really good. If the same name cropped up more than once, then I'd go and bring them up and say, fancy a beer, you know, got nothing at the moment, fancy a beer. Go and see them a couple of times, see if I could kind of get into them a little bit. We never talked about the role. It's never like, well, you know, can you do this and can you do that? I'm taking it for granted you can do that. I was interested in people sharing the same value and being excited by the same mission that we had. And if I didn't detect that, they weren't in. I don't care how good they were. I didn't take them if I didn't think that they were in tune. So I'm 100% behind that one, Dwelter, for sure. I think being really clear around who does what as well um yeah that sort of duplication of effort sometimes and pe people being comfortable around things you know and and i think being comfortable that people have those sort of freedoms and you know constraints so but knowing what they are because that enables you everyone's just focus on their bit of it and everything's really really clear then and the thing mandates yeah clear mandate for sure we, we had to really iron out that between you and charlotte didn't we andy because you're both operationally led um <clears throat> But uh, Andy's better commercially and Charlotte is better operationally. So eventually when we got them to <laughs> kind of admit who was good at which bits. Like, it, took, it took a bacon sandwich at your place, didn't it? It did, yeah. 
It did, yeah. Passive aggressive WhatsApp messages just don't make just don't make for good relationships. <laughs> when, when, when you get it's high really, functioning people, really, that really is really the case. Difficult. Like if everybody's like me, like they'd be like, oh, I'm rubbish at this. Like, well, let's get somebody else to do it. That's the same as me, really. I knew what yeah. I was good at, not many things, but yeah. a lot of things, hire people better than me. Result. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, gents. Um predictions for the market. Um What's the story, Mike? Are we? Is this going to continue for for the, the foreseeable? I think it's going to continue for a wee while, yeah, for sure. There's just so much activity. Um, <clears throat> inflation, you've got to keep an eye on that for sure, because that is going to have an effect on things. It always does. And, of course, at the moment, things are going up in price. Yeah. I had a, a chap who wanted to come, well, I wanted someone to come and do some work on a house I own. And he said, well, I can do it, but not yet because I can't get the wood because you just can't get it really. Everything's gone up in price. People's wages have gone up in price, et cetera. So there will be inflation that's going to have an effect. I also think that Brexit, we haven't really seen it come to fruition properly yet. I think there's a little bit to more to play out of that story yet before we understand the true effect. And then, of course, you've got furlough coming to an end. I think most people are off furlough. There's still quite a few people on it, I'm told. So when they come back on the market, that's going to have an effect and, that, and also the government are bound to make it easier to import people, to get yeah. people. It won't be the same as it was when we were part of the EU, if but it's got to be. Surely supply and demand. Yeah, because I mean, we just can't carry on like this, you know. Yeah. We're getting the army to deliver things because we haven't got enough drivers, really. You know, what are we, a third world country? So they're going to have to open things up. And I think all of those things will have a calming effect. When is difficult to say. I wouldn't imagine, if it's going to happen this year, I think it'll be in the autumn. Yeah. But I don't think it will. I think it'll be next year, first half of next year, probably, is a guess. Yeah, in the downtimes, Andy, you kept saying to me, stop talking like you're not going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> like, it, you, like the time will pass and you'll be here and like the good times will come again. Um, yeah, what do you say? What, what, what are you thinking? You, you fix the roof. So, you know, when we started talking, you know, 18 months ago, I looked to your business and your business is basically on an economic whim and you're the lowest food chain, right? So yeah. recruitment, recruitment's hit, you're here. And I'm like, you've got nothing here. So, you know, what, what you now have, you've got blend um, and more importantly, with you've got recurring revenues. So in a couple of different businesses. So you, you're hedging around that. And in the same way that, you know, there's never, there's, you know, the best time to fix the roof is now. So, you know, while it's, you know, while it's sunny out there, everything's all right. But I'm seeing it now. People are put, still putting off, you know, everyone, everyone marched last year, wish I had a contract business. Um, and then they couldn't do it because they needed to get cash in for the perm business. And now perm's doing so well, uh, you know, I don't want to turn that away. And in six months time, they won't have a contract. And, and, and it's not actually, it's not actually the next six months that kills you. It's the fact in five years time, you'd be two years further on in your contract business yeah what's what's that worth of the of the build so so for me my my advice is look you know take advantage of the gangbusters market but do it in a way that it makes sense in five years so you know do the things now that you can afford to do um like building candidate database pools because you know like building recurring revenue streams like investing in your people I think the other thing is look, look at you, look at you people. Everyone's so focused on everyone they're trying to hire. Everyone else is focused on your people and trying to hire them as well. So mm. you know what? I'm a Southampton fan. A good transfer window is when nobody leaves. 
All right, and, and, it, and it's a it's a similar thing, I think, for recruiters. Your best people, the best the best the best you can hope for, and you know, plan plan. You know, best you can hope for is that no one leaves, and then if you get surprised because you can bring other great people in, do it. You, but, you can influence that. So I agree with that entirely. Our turnover rate was less than three percent in the nineties on average wow. for a year. Very low. We had a very strong EVP though, very strong. Yeah. And I think we looked after our people very well. And I attracted them. They they came in because we were careful who we hired, obviously. But but nonetheless, I think you're right, Andy. The reason we grew so quickly is because we didn't lose people so much. If you lose someone, particularly if they're like a key revenue stream, that's a big, that's a big dent in the revenues. And then you've got to work hard just to replace what you've lost, let alone move forward. Keep the team together, everything changes. And I think now you're right. There is way too much focus on bringing new people in. And all you're going to do is risk losing your existing people. And it's the same with clients, really. You can get clients now if you want. Trick is getting the right clients. You've got a client estate. Well, make sure you manage that estate properly. Get a balanced client estate. Make sure that your people are right. Because we always made more money and things flattened off a bit because of the relationship we had with our clients so that we could get candidates then. We could get contractors. And I think if you if you know what you're doing, as soon as this levels down a bit, those people organise well, will make much more money, much more money, because you can get the candidates. Whereas at the moment, it's tricky, isn't it, to get good candidates? Everyone knows. You did a piece on choosing your clients, and and I think one of the things is look look at look at your customers who've been great customers for you, and make sure that you know you're still servicing them, even even if there's you know shinier things out there as well, because they'll be the ones in a year or two as and when this does change, that will still be there for you as well. So, yeah, I think I think it's really important that, you know, you uh, be it a bubble. And if it's not a bubble, great, everything's great, and this becomes the new norm, fantastic. But if you imagine this is a bubble and it's burst, what bursts in that bubble? What changes? And, you know, you build your business accordingly. Anything else is just a bonus. I, I agree with that, yeah. I think this is a bubble. And I think it might not burst, but it might deflate slightly. And what's left is is your business, really, not this madness that we have going on at the moment, for sure. Um, finishing finishing questions, guys. Um, Mike, what does the love of the game mean for you? What do you love within the game, within your game? Okay, well, it, this this is a life thing. I don't think you can necessarily divorce life, work and not work, really. It's just what turns you on as a person. I had my needs analysis done some years ago to find out what actually drove me, which was really interesting. I have all sorts of them. I need to be on a journey. So I need to be somewhere, come from somewhere, but going somewhere. I need that. I need to be in a place of discovery. So there's new stuff and exciting stuff. I need a risk of failure that if it fails, it hurts me. Not necessarily financially, but it hurts me in some way. And also I need, and this is the thing that the reason I do this job, I suppose, I need to develop people. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's my kids' friends that I mentor, I don't care. I have this deep need to try and help people and make things better. And the love of the game is all of those things. And when all, when any of those things aren't ticked for me, then it's perhaps time to find a new game. Okay, Andy. Um, for me, I think I'm very much around the whole, it's a gratification. It, it genuinely is, you know, feeling like you, you've added something, you've done something. And, and, and that for me is, is really important. I think, I think I'm probably very much on the how at the moment. It allows me to, you know, my lifestyle between the UK and, and Cape Town. Um, so, but but for me, I think the biggest thing is having an impact. And that's that's the thing I get the most buzz out of. Um, when people take your advice, 
um, you work with them and it transforms them and the impact and you just see, yeah, I've, I've made a difference. So for me, actually, I think doing things that are worthwhile and feeling like you've done things that are worthwhile. And yeah, I, I like Mike's thing around, you know, I, I need a little bit of fear, but I also need a little bit of carrot and, and just, just making sure that I've got those. And I, and I think I've got that blend right now, which is, which is great. Um, so, so yeah, I, but here's the, here's the game. And, you know, we, we talk about it, Dulce, you know, when we have a little win, we phone each other and we talk about it and, you know, it, it, it might be, you know, a little win, but it just feels as good as the big win sometimes as well. Uh, but, but it's, it's the win. It's like, you know what, you can sell, you, know, you can sell a big consultancy package or you can, you know, sell a thermostatic radiator valve on eBay for 10 quid. You know, it feels just the same. And, and it's exactly the same working with, with businesses as well. When you, when you do that, it, it, so if it is a game, it's all about, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all the wins, not just the big ones. I can I'm not sure show to alter, but what, what does it mean to you? Uh, I, the, I've always been interested in, in more of the game rather than the detail. So um, I suppose with Rackwired, we have a bit of a train set to study all the company, all the recruitment companies of all different sizes. And then that allows us to work out what services they need, what technology they need, how that all plugs in. But then for the people that I'm advising and the bigger people that Andy's advising, I suppose it, it, it means that the marginal gains that we know can happen if you do the right thing, I get a real buzz off that. Not just on the advisory piece, but actually putting it into our own business and to be able to go, I turned that little knob there a little bit and it did this, or I turned it there and it didn't do that. Okay, I've learned from that. Now I know that that works and I know that that doesn't work. So that's part of the framework for the next thing. So I love marginal gains and I've made loads of mistakes in the last year, um, but I did more right than wrong and I've learned from the wrong and that is the basis for the framework moving forward and get a kick out of that. So something for everybody, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I know, as right? soon as you know, you, as soon as you haven't got anything, then yeah. genuinely you're in trouble, I think. But, but I suppose like I set up the business to, like I was pretty clear on all the businesses, like with with our scale business that Siobhan runs, I'm like, I'm not going to be your building manager. You're, you have to be that person. And in, in our rec to rec world, I'm like, I'll I'll bring in the stuff and I'll 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 make I'll make the things happen, but you need to be the billing manager. I don't want to be the billing manager and I don't want to be the operations manager. I, I want to be able to be creative. I want to be able to be entrepreneurial. I want to do the things that I enjoy doing, like this conversation. Um, and because I'm lucky enough to have access to guys like you guys, I can add more value for other people and for our own businesses by doing this than I can like making five cold, cold calls that might make me some immediate money. So, yeah. But uh, look, thanks so much for your time, Mike and Andy. Um, your show, Mike, you've got, you've got lots of guests got, coming on. Have, uh, have, you invited, have you invited Andy Hallett on yet? Has he made the cut? He, we were just discussing that before. You, you just dashed off to change your shirt. And um, we were just discussing that, that Andy's going to come on the show. We don't know what to talk about yet. Perhaps tech, tech stack. I don't know yeah. something called contracting or whatever. We'll, we'll think of something. I'm sure. All right. And uh, that, that show is. So my game show it's on Thursdays on LinkedIn live, 1230. 
And then we also do webinars every quarter. We've got one coming up in September on this whole piece, actually, weirdly, of how you grow and how you build a scale um, a cash cow lifestyle business as opposed to a scale to sell. The difference between the two and how you build them. So if anybody wants to come, just let me know and we'll send you an invite. Brilliant. All right, Andy. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, we'll, we should do this again. I've, I've really enjoyed this case. With wine next time, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like over lunch or something. I think so. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting us. Right. Thanks, guys.